is a Woodside Church podcast. It's really a privilege for me to preach here on Easter Sunday. I was normally the team leader preaches on Easter Sunday and so I was very surprised to notice when I was in South Africa recently, Scylla and I were there for four weeks and uh, we'd, um, uh, we were working with a whole group of churches there and uh, I suddenly noticed in my diary that someone had put in that I was preaching on Easter Sunday. <laughs> so, um, so I wrote to Martin and said, you sure this isn't a mistake? And apparently it's not. So great, uh, great to be here and to be able to do that. In fact, uh, because we travelled over the years to countries which follow the Orthodox calendar rather than the Western calendar, some, some, some years we've had two Easter's. <laughs> some years we haven't had an Easter at all, but uh, we still believed Christ is risen. Now, I noticed a few people have said to us this morning, Happy Easter, you know, which is sort of a bit like Happy Christmas, but a different time of the year. Actually, because it's the most important Sunday in the church calendar, you would have had no Christmas if it wasn't for Easter, because no one would have remembered it. And so this is the most important Sunday in the church calendar. And I thought, when I, as I've travelled around the world and as I even... Um, it, there's a far greater enthusiasm about the Easter greeting, which in our charismatic evangelical churches we've lost a little bit. So we're going to revive that tradition which... Uh, which Anglican and Roman Catholic churches would still do, but I want us to do it in a massive, uh, powerful way to celebrate Christ is risen. So, the words simply are, I as the preacher shout out Christ is risen. Okay, is that up there? And you reply, indeed, or indeed he is risen, hallelujah. Okay, because this is much better than happy Easter. Because when I go to um, some, some other countries that we, where our churches that I'm serving make a lot of that tradition, it's, it just comes with a great... Everyone, as you, as you walk in the, in, the, in the door, greets you that way on Easter Sunday. Okay? So I'm going to start, and then you give a massive reply. Okay? So, Christ is risen. Indeed, he is risen. Amen. Now, I wonder whether Ukrainian speakers can beat that. Christus vas Chris. Amen. Okay, so now. Greet each other that way. One of you be the f- first person and one of you, just, just the person you're sitting next to and just do it to do the proper greeting when you're coming into the church on Easter Sunday. <laughs> oh. 
Okay, it doesn't take that long. All right. <laughs> so welcome to a message celebrating the bodily resurrection of Jesus. That word bodily is important. Because there are some ideas, yes, he carried on in the, na- in the minds of his people and that sort of thing. People say of someone, yeah, their words live forever. That's not what we mean by Christ is risen. We mean in a body that was re- recognisable but also slightly not quite the same. And the Bible says we will have a one day in the new heaven and new earth, a body like his body. Now, our series has studied Matthew's gospel, so I'm going to read from there. And I'm going to start on uh, the end of Good Friday, if you you like. As, As evening approached, Matthew 27, 57, Joseph, a rich man from Arimathea, who had become a follower or a disciple of Jesus, went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. And Pilate issued an order to release it to him. Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a long sheet of clean linen cloth. He placed it in his own tomb, which had been carved out of the rock. Then he rolled a great stone across the entrance and left. Both Mary Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting across from the tomb and watching. The next day, on the Sabbath, the leading priests and Pharisees went to see Pilate, who was the governor. They told him, Sir, we remember what that deceiver once said while he was still alive. After three days I will rise from the dead. So we request that you seal the tomb until the third day. This will prevent his disciples from coming and stealing his body and then telling everyone he was raised from the dead. If that happens, we'll be worse off than we were at first. Pilate replied, take guards and secure it the best you can. So they sealed the tomb and posted guards to protect it. Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake. We sang that, didn't we? For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone and sat on it. His face shone like lightning and his clothing was white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him and they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the women. Don't be afraid, he said. I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He has risen from the dead, just as he said would happen. Come, see where his body was lying. And now go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I have told you. The women ran quickly from the tomb. They were very frightened, but also filled with great joy. And they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. And as they went, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they ran to him, grasped his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee and they'll see me there. 
As the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and told the leading priests what had happened. A meeting with the elders was called and they decided to give the soldiers a large bribe. They told the soldiers, you must say Jesus' disciples came during the night while we were sleeping and they stole his body. If the governor hears about it, we'll stand up for you so you won't get into trouble. So the guards accepted the bribe and said what they were told to say. Their story spread widely among the Jews and they still tell it today, which is the time that Matthew was writing. Then the eleven disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some of them doubted. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I started the story with the account of Jesus' burial. That's important because two witnesses watched it. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. We aren't sure which one that was. There were lots of people called Mary at that time. And his burial was important. It demonstrated that everyone knew he was truly dead. Because there's sometimes a theory that, well, perhaps he didn't really die. No, no. The Romans knew how to do death properly. And it also showed that one unexpected disciple, not one of the 12 or 11 by this time, but someone who nobody knew was a disciple of Jesus. A man called Joseph of Arimathea. It says he was a rich man. The 11 had all fled. Joseph came forward and as a rich man, and Matthew, is, Matthew weaves his gospel very logically. He's already said, or quoted Jesus as saying, it's very hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom. In fact, it's like a camel going through the eye of a needle. And uh, he says, and he's also a member of the council that had decreed Jesus' death. Obviously, there was a minority in the council, Nicodemus and Joseph, who would have voted against that. But he was an unlikely person to come forward at this time. But God has it all in hand because he was one of the few people that have had sufficient status to walk up to Pilate and ask for that. In that culture, you had to be important to speak to important people. But Joseph of Arimathea would have been able to. And it made sure that Jesus' body was not put in a common grave, as most people who were crucified would have been but in a special tomb. That was important in order for his resurrection to be witnessed. And one person I read on this scripture said this, 
discipled money can honour Jesus. Okay? Rich people can honour Jesus. And right through history, true church history, we welcome the fact that there have been rich people who've helped finance mission, world mission, who've helped other, uh, many of the growth of the church, people who gave money in order for, and they may have had mixed motives, but in order for great buildings to be built and so on. And this is not a main point of the resurrection preach, but if you're rich, which applies to a good proportion of us here in world terms, remember, you can be like Joseph of Arimathea and God can use your wealth to further the kingdom of God. And it also, Matthew is always concerned to show that Old Testament scriptures have been fulfilled. And this was one. Isaiah 53 verse 9 said, He had done no wrong, speaking prophetically about the Messiah, and had never deceived anyone. But he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. And... Another commentator pointed and said this, Christ has more secret disciples than we, were, we are aware. I remember when I left my job in banking, I wrote to all the companies I dealt with and all my colleagues explaining why I was leaving. I didn't just sort of slip out. I let them all know exactly why and about God's call and you know I got it wasn't emails in those days because it was before the oh dear uh, <laughs> I got letters <laughs> from lots of different people in the companies I dealt with saying they were believers as well some of these guys I travelled to other countries with had been open about my faith and they hadn't ever said but there comes a time when people who are secret disciples, God can use them. And then it gives the reason for the stone. Matthew is building the story carefully. A big stone was already there. Joseph Arimathea didn't leave the grave open. But then the Jewish leaders broke the Sabbath rules because they shouldn't have done this on the Sabbath to get the guard and to make sure the stone was sealed. But then, early on Sunday morning, the two first witnesses who'd seen him buried, this is important, went to the tomb. As they went there, there was a dramatic act of power, a limited earthquake just to that area, and an angel rolling the stone away. By the way, he didn't, like, he didn't roll the stone away to let Jesus out. He let rolled the stone away so they could see the grave was empty. That's incredible. Okay? Jesus had risen. And the women needed to witness that the tomb was empty. Jesus wasn't there. He'd already risen, but then the rest of this chapter is all hurry. 
Why? Matthew is particularly in a hurry because he wants to get to the point in the story that this message has to go to every nation. The others... The other Gospels talk about many other things that happened. It's not that Matthew didn't believe they happened. He was just in a hurry to get to the commission because Matthew was the, writing his gospel for the Jewish people and they, the Jewish believers, had to understand that all nations are one in Christ. And so Matthew's in a hurry. And so he leaves out the bit that Luke talks about people wandering down to, to Emmaus and Jesus joining them. He missed out the bit of them having a barbecue on the beach. He misses all those sort of things. <laughs> all the wonderful truths in the other Gospels. And says, come on, we've got to hurry. Because you've got to get to where I'm going to tell you to go to every nation. Because, precisely because it's the event, sorry, there might have been a typo there. It's the event par excellence, the foundation of our faith, the most important event in history. It follows almost naturally that the great responsibility of all those who believe this event is, of course, mission. Does anyone believe Jesus is risen? Yes. Christ is risen. <laughs> that means you by declaring that are to be called to work to the mission where you are and supporting mission across the world because if you believe this it must make a difference so, hurry to Galilee, he says. And uh, that is what um, he, 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 the, the angel commissioned them to do. Jesus has said before, I'll see you in Galilee. And then the lie is circulated. The authorities couldn't deny the, quiet, the truth of an empty tomb. The guard had been speechless. But a lie was circulated. And we'll talk about why that wasn't possible to be true in a moment. And then there was fear and great joy. It's possible to have both emotions at the same time. Okay? You might think, when, I, when I'm afraid, I'm not particularly joyful. And when I'm joyful, I'm not particularly afraid. Here, it was both. Because there was both great joy, but fear of the Lord. You know, we sometimes say we've all got to be set free from fear. Yes, fear, fear of what dark powers might do as came in that testimony, wonderful testimony. But there's a true fear of the Lord, reverence for God, that we've got to be careful as Christians we don't lose. And fear and great joy can exist together. Then Jesus appears. It's interesting. His greeting in Greek is actually not the very formal greeting, but the familiar one. We might say today, hi. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus said to them, yeah, it just, it literally meant rejoice. So it was true in that sense. 
but it was also the friendly greeting to people you know well, rather than the formal greeting. And they grabbed his feet and worshipped, showing even in resurrection, Jesus' two natures. He was physical, he was a man, and he was God, and to be worshipped. So he was both, and that truth is reinforced here. And then he said, go to my brothers. The angel said, go to my disciples. Jesus said, go to my brothers. Why? Why different? Because his brothers had all run away from him. His disciples had run, all run away, deserted him. And Jesus is saying, I still take them as part of the family. Not the official term, not the disciples, but they're my brothers, which implied his forgiveness of them for running away. Because even in this, forgiveness comes. It, it is, this is family. And then they met up in Galilee eventually and were given what we call the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of every nation. Christ is now Lord of all, has risen from the dead. The disciples, it said, saw him, then were commissioned. So some doubted. We don't know whether that was some of the 12, because the word could mean some of the others doubted. And some commentators think it was the time when Jesus appeared to 500 people at once, including the 12. But he gave them this commission. Now, they saw him. We believe their witness, but they saw him. And St. Augustine put it like this. What do we see that they saw not or that they didn't see? The church throughout all nations. What do we not see, which they saw? Christ present in the flesh. The sight of Christ helped them to believe the future church. The sight of the church helps us to believe that Christ has risen. Did you get that? You see, we're both they and we have to walk by faith. They had to believe that when Jesus said, go to every nation, that that would happen. I mean, they'd never traveled very far. You know, sometimes I meet people who've never left their little area. And the disciples would have been like that. They'd have gone from Galilee to Jerusalem. That's pretty small. But now God was saying, go to every nation. It had to be a real step of faith for them to believe every nation will be reached. Just like it's a real step of faith for us to believe because every nation, not quite every nation yet, but there's the, universe, the church all over the world. As I go, wherever I go, I find people celebrating these same things, being excited about these things, same things. We can say, wow, Jesus is risen. So, just a few things of, I've told the story in some detail, just briefly through some things that we know. Why are we so certain that, rose, rose, that Jesus rose again? Firstly, 
the burial took place in Jerusalem. The preaching that the tomb was empty and Jesus rose took place in Jerusalem. If Jesus was still in the tomb, why didn't they produce the body? Okay. I mean, it was all there. They never tried to do that. Secondly, the change in the disciples. They had all run away. They were cowardly. They were hardly likely to come and steal the body and then suffer and die for a lie. You understand? Yeah? Rather, they changed because they saw the risen Lord Jesus who said, don't tell anybody yet, just wait for a while. Then the Holy Spirit will come and give you real power to speak it. But they were already eager to speak because they had seen the risen Lord. And thirdly, and ladies, please excuse me. This was the culture at the time. Forgive us. We don't believe it. But the culture at the time was a woman's testimony was worth only half that of a man. If you were therefore going to make up this story, what would you make sure happened with the first people to see him? Men. But they were concerned to tell the truth, not make a convincing story. And so all of them show how the first witnesses to the resurrection were women. This both points to its truthfulness and its countercultural effect of honouring women right from the beginning of Christianity. I know it hasn't always been done, but that was the message at the beginning. Then next, the abundance of eventual witnesses. It says he was seen by Peter and then by the 12. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. And then Paul says, last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him on the Damascus road. And finally, the dramatic change that this truth makes in people's lives today. You've heard it this morning. Amen. You've heard three wonderful testimonies that Jesus is alive. And the way those three described it is as effective as me preaching it. You understand? They are the witness. Jesus is alive. And I was very interested. I listened to the morning service on Radio 4 today. And I'd already written this because they'd already got the PowerPoint, honest. But the Archbishop of Canterbury gave exactly the same, number, the same reasons. Okay. But then, as well as a celebration of the resurrection, this chapter ends with a command to baptise. Why? Well, firstly, and it's important to say this because we've talked about we've seen baptism. Baptism is a step of discipleship which reenacts what happened to Jesus. Okay. Ollie, can you come and help me a minute? <laughs> 
Sorry. You see, imagine, I know this is difficult, but imagine Ollie, a terrible, terrible sinner, and the, <laughs> the way that the, we would just say, yeah, he was a terrible sinner. The way that Paul in Romans describes this when he's talking about baptism is that Ollie was in Adam. That means he's just born as an ordinary human being. That's what that means. He's in Adam. Then one day, Ollie hears the gospel. And he might say, and we often say, oh, he received Christ. He decided to follow Jesus. Jesus came into his heart. He accepted Christ. We say lots of different things. What, the, what Paul says, theologically, what happened to Ollie when he decided to follow Christ? Paul says, he died with Christ. As Christ died, Ollie died. Just like when Adam sinned, Ollie sinned in Adam. You might say, that's a bit weird. It's true, though, that because Adam sinned, all sin. Because sin came into the world. But because Christ died, we are, we are, we die with Christ to our old life. Then, what do you do when someone's dead? You bury them. Okay? So, I won't take you to the over there. We, <laughs> you've been in once. We, we, he's buried in baptism. But as you will have observed, we didn't leave them in the water. Okay? <laughs> they came up again because he's risen with Christ. Amen? So all this story... Oh, that's fine, yeah. <laughs> all, this, all this story of what happened at Easter is reenacted in baptism. That's why it's important to be baptised. And it anticipates our final bodily resurrection ourselves when Christ returns. That's our future hope. Our future hope is not floating on the clouds somewhere. Our future hope is there's a new heaven and new earth and Jesus returns and heaven meets earth and we enjoy the renewed earth. It says the holy city comes down out of heaven to earth and we have new bodies and we have a new, uh, all that creation was intended to be and more. Because Christ was risen, we will rise. We rise spiritually when we come to Christ we rise physically in a day to come when Jesus returns. And baptism acknowledges the one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Would have been hard for a Jew of that day to say, but now it, we can say, yes, we worship the Father because he's God. We can say we worship Jesus because he is God. And we worship the Holy Spirit because he comes and empowers us. He is God. And this is so important. It must be shared with every ethnic group. Well done for praying for North Korea. Number one in the persecuted Christians' countries. 
Just keep praying. And let's do so full of the joy of the resurrection. That Christ died for our sins and was raised for our justification to put us right with God. So, here we are. Okay, just watch, watch the front. Christ is risen. Hallelujah. Jesus was great. Christus was great. Yeah. Amen. Let's worship him together. Um, and but before I do, before we do rather, I just want to pray. And if you don't know Jesus, in your heart, as I pray, you can receive him, the risen Lord, as your Lord. If you haven't been baptised, then you can follow, you can do that and commit to baptism on a future occasion. Father, thank you for the risen Lord Jesus. Thank you for the evidence of his resurrection. Thank you for the evidence all over the world that Christ is risen with changed lives. Thank you for the testimonies we've heard today. And Lord, I pray, I pray right now that any here who don't know Jesus, help them to consider you. And Lord, give their lives to him. Lord, I pray for any who have been struggling, should I get baptised or not, as they've heard these testimonies and seen what it represents, help them to take those steps. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You have been listening to a Woodside Church podcast. For more information, visit woodsidechurch.com.